Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Gold. Twenty twenty two is shaping up to be a big year in American women's soccer. And on today's All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show, we will break down everything to expect in this year from the NWSL to the U.S. Women's National Team and everything in between. Welcome to the show. My name is Doug Fertelny. Joining me, as always, is Goals Women's Football Correspondent, Amy Ruskai. Amy, how's it going? I am good. Looking forward to this year kicking off basically this weekend. What about you? Yeah, we're uh, we're kind of getting started for real in 2022. I know we've had a few U.S. national team games, but uh, the Challenge Cup is kicking off very shortly, and then after that, we'll get into the NWSL season. In the meantime, we've got some U.S. national team games coming up in April, and then in the summer, we'll have the CONCACAF championship. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot to look forward to, so we thought today we would kind of take a long view and and look at everything to expect this year. Um, You know, last year, I think there were a lot of storylines that were taking place off the field. And I I think a lot of that is starting to get settled a little bit. And this year we can talk a little bit more about what happens between the lines. Yeah. And, you know, we we can't kind of just push it aside and and forget it happened as well, because last year is going to have a big impact on this year. I mean, how many different coaches are we going to have this year? Um, do you know the fact the CBA is in place and a lot of the stuff that happened last year has has made an impact on the CBA, um, which is in place for this season for the first time. So, um, yeah, it's definitely you know kind of continuing on and, and seeing um, what has come from last year and the lessons the league has learned. But also, there's going to be a lot of on the pitch differences um, for the good, and it makes things really exciting as well that. We don't know a lot about what's going to happen on the pitch really this year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll we'll have to continue to monitor all of the off-field stuff, especially in the NWSL. Uh, there are several investigations that are ongoing. There's going to be a big fallout from those. Uh, but it seems like 
we can focus a little bit more on what's going on on the field this year. The, 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 the big reckoning happened in, in, in 2021. And, you know, we, we have to hope that there won't be any more revelations about more coaches this year, but we can't rule it out of course. And there's definitely going to be some fallout from the, from the investigations, but, but on the field, um, there's a new CBA. I think the players and the league feel really positive about that. Um, for the U.S. women's national team as well, there's been so much talk about the, the lawsuit, um, and that has been settled pending agreement of a, a new CBA there between the U.S. women's national team and U.S. soccer, which hasn't exactly happened yet, but hopefully will soon. And then once that is completed and, and once some of the investigations with the NWSL start to wrap up, I, I think we're going to be in, in a different place. Um, but let's let, let's talk about NWSL first, and then we'll move on to some some U.S. Women's National Team stuff. Um, the Challenge Cup is, is starting. Um, there's been a little bit of uh, confusion, I guess, or discussion, or it's unclear how teams view this tournament. Um, you know, the original Challenge Cup was in 2020 when there was no way to play other than having this tournament in Utah in a bubble during the pandemic. Um, but rather than have it be a one-time thing, the league decided to carry that on because it was a, a big event. It was really successful. It was really popular, but it's a different sort of vibe when there's actually a regular season happening. Uh, so we saw last year teams kind of treated it as preseason. Um, I think this year is going to be pretty similar, although they're trying to play it up as if it's a competition that the teams want to win. There's a trophy to be won. And then, so maybe it's like a half preseason, half regular season. Like what, what do you expect teams are going to do for this tournament, Amy? I think it kind of depends on where you are as a team as well. Right. So like if you're an expansion team, you're the San Diego wave or angel city, like it kind of is like you're figuring yourself out. You know, the, the coach is new, the team's completely new and you, you're figuring things out tactically and, that kind of thing. So it is kind of be a pre-season, I, I think, for them and, and also the teams that are maybe in not as strong a position to actually challenge for the Challenge Cup, no pun intended. Like, they're going to be sort of figuring themselves out and, and realising, you know, who goes where and what works and what doesn't. I think the teams that are in a stronger place, the teams that maybe haven't had much turnover over the off-season, um, you know, that have, have maybe bolstered the team that, that did okay last season, they're maybe going to be in a stronger place and not treat it so much like preseason. Um, I have to say, as somebody from England, the fact that this competition is played before the season absolutely blows my mind. Like, I think when this, if if they kind of integrate the cup into the league, like like the FA Cup is here or something like that, I think then teams maybe start to take it a little bit more seriously. I would hope, but I think making it run for like two months before the season actually starts kind of makes it like. Yeah, kind of makes it like a preseason tournament with the scheduling for me. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and you know, one thing that we still don't have on the women's side here is an FA Cup-like competition. Uh, and on the men's side, we have the U.S. Open Cup. Um, you know, and this year we're, we're seeing a, a, a new league start, the USLW League. Um, and so I hope that as that league gets established and then another league comes into play in, in, in 2023 – uh, we will have some kind of a, a, a U.S. Open Cup women's competition, and, and maybe that does eventually uh, replace the Challenge Cup because it would be it would be really cool to see 
women's teams here compete in multiple competitions the way that men's teams do. Um, that also brings brings to mind the possibility of a, a women's Concacaf Champions League the way we see in the in the men's on the men's side, and I think that would be a great competition too. You know, I, I'm I'm thinking that the, the the more that Mexican teams start to grow and and build, um, that could be a really fun competition to watch. But going back to the Challenge Cup. Um, what what teams are you looking at um, as as kind of intriguing teams to watch in this tournament? I think it has to be Angel City and, and the San Diego Wave. Like it, you know, they're the expansion teams. They've got these cool brands. They're you know launching in this really big market. They've got um, you know star names and all this kind of thing. And I think it's always interesting to see an expansion team come together um, and quite exciting as well. Uh, I think on the flip side, I'm intrigued by North. Carolina in a way because they have lost a lot of star power and they had obviously so much change off the field last season that I'm particularly intrigued to see how they do because it is like this team that's won so many championships but they've lost so many players from those championship winning teams now it's going to be um I think it's gonna be interesting to see what they look like what about you who are you looking at yeah I'm interested to see Portland for sure. Um, you know, this is a team that's had so much continuity with um, with Mark Parsons uh, over the last several years, and to to lose him is a big blow. And also to lose uh, Lindsey Horan, who went to Olympic Lyon. Uh, but they, they they managed to keep in place a lot of their their best pieces. Um, so this is a team that won the Shield last year, and so you wouldn't expect them to drop off too much, but, uh, you know, they brought in a, a newcomer in, uh, Hina Sugita, Japanese player. And I think that she's going to take on a big role, especially with, with Lindsay Haran leaving. Um, so seeing how they do in midfield and also seeing the continued development of, of Sophia Smith and seeing how much Christine Sinclair still has left in the tank, um, as well as Becky Sauerbrunn. Um, she still plays at an extremely high level and, you wonder how much longer that can go, but uh, just seeing how how Portland deals with some of those those major departures and in, in Parsons and Haran will be interesting. Yeah, I'd agree. Who do you think's been hit the most, like over the off season? Who do you think's kind of lost like the most significant pieces and maybe not replaced? Yeah, I think Orlando took a took a really big hit in the off season. Um, they lost some some really strong veteran players and Alex Morgan and Ali Krieger and Ashlyn Harris. And I think when we've talked about Orlando previously, we've talked about these these players leaving as, as not necessarily a bad thing. You know, this is a team that was sort of built to win around these veterans, and, and it didn't really happen. But there's probably going to be a little bit of a hit taken in the in the short term because I don't really see any like-for-like like replacements coming in that, that are going to be able to produce at the level of those kinds of players. And then also they weren't able to sign their top draft pick, Mia Fischel, who we had on the show a few weeks ago, um, someone who looked like a perfect replacement for Alex Morgan. So Orlando is is definitely a team that I expect to struggle for most, if not all, of uh, the 2022 season. Do you think Orlando will ever not be in a transitional period? <laughs> yeah. I feel like they're just stuck in, in transition. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, th- th- they they definitely needed this kind of rebuild but uh over over the short term um it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna be tough i was looking at louisville as well obviously losing mccaskill and nagasato like 
they they brought in some some top. I mean, they brought in Jess McDonald, um, which is obviously a, a big forward to bring in. Nadia Nadim is back out on the training pitch five and a half months after having surgery on her ACL, which is insane. Um, don't think she's in full contact training yet. But still, still pretty crazy. So like they got some great forwards in there. They obviously have Ebony Salmon as well. Um, but I'm intrigued to see where the creativity comes from. Um, you know, because that's two big players to lose in terms of like feeding your attackers. Yeah, definitely. A team that we followed pretty closely last season, of course, was Washington Spirit. You know, they they started as kind of a middling team, and then they lost their their head coach mid season after some accusations of uh, abusive behavior against him. And, and they responded in the absolute best way possible by going on an amazing run in the back half of the season and through the playoffs to, to win the championship. Um, there was also a really dramatic ownership struggle going on all throughout last season as well that has now been resolved um, with Michelle Kang, the, the owner that the players wanted to take over, uh, actually taking control of the team. Um, so... You look at all that, you look at the fact that you have Trinity Rodman going in for a second season. Um, you have Chris Ward, the interim coach last year, now having taken off that interim label and had a full preseason with the team. And you have to look at them as one of the the favorites to to win the, the championship again. Uh, how do you see the spirit going into this season? Yeah, I mean, I think what they must be one of the clubs that's had the lowest amount of turnover. They've had like, they've kept so many pieces. I think the deal to to sign Trinity Rodman to a three year contract extension is like probably one of the best pieces of business that anybody's done in the entire off season. Um, to keep that entire squad together, to keep the coach that has like you know manifested this really positive energy and this great momentum, um, you know to to just have the basically the title winning team basically still intact without anything really taken from it. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't have them up there. I mean, I guess the thing is, is like, oh, but, you know, was it just a, a one-off thing? Like, people will do that because you know, it's the first time they've won it. Like, can they actually maintain it? But I don't see any reason why not. All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Gold. Find more U.S. women's soccer news and opinion on goal. Let's talk about some of the newcomers in this league. Um, wondering which which rookies or which international signings really kind of got your attention and, and 
who you're most excited to to see in the in the NWSL this season? Yeah, I think um Oma Goma looks like a great signing for San Diego Wave and top pick. Obviously, it's a very easy person to pick out as um as being uh, one to watch. Um, we had her on the show a few weeks ago as well. If you didn't catch that, go back and get it. She told us that there's a really good vibe there and it sounds like San Diego, um, you know, when you look from the outside, they, they are a team to watch and um, it'd be interesting to see how she settles in. She talked about how Casey Stoney has kind of been taking the centre-backs to one side and giving them bits of advice and I think that's a really good coach for her to learn off. Um, I also like um, Savannah DeMello to um, Louisville which could be interesting. Like I just said about them maybe not having, they've lost some creativity. I think she goes in there and adds some adds some creativity for sure in terms of an attacking sense. As well for the international players, like you mentioned, um, Caroline, who's just gone to North Carolina Courage, from what I've seen of her in Spain and, and with Brazil, that looks like a player that can completely light up this league. Um, yeah, what about you? Who are you looking at for this season? Yeah, I think there there were two international signings that really caught my attention, um, both from the two expansion teams. Um, for Angel City, Junendo, um, I've only seen her play a couple times, but you know she's twenty one and has a huge reputation. You know, someone who's considered like a future global star, and and to to see Angel City be able to sign her, I think it's a real statement of intent for them. Um, on on the San Diego side, um, a more veteran player, but someone who is a real established star in the in the global game is Sofia Jakobsen from from Sweden. You know, someone that you know American fans uh, should be familiar with just from seeing Sweden play the U.S. Women's National Team so many times over the years. Um, just a really dangerous player on the wing, someone who should step in and become a a really vital part of that that team right away. Um, yeah, rookies, you know, you look at obviously Gurma and Jalen Howell going one, two. Those are kind of the the most obvious names to watch. Um, a couple that I, I, I picked out um, other than them is Diana Ordonez with North Carolina. Um, she scored a boatload of goals in college at University of Virginia, and she's going to have the, the opportunity to play in North Carolina. You know, as we mentioned, they – they lost some some big names in terms of uh, Jessica McDonald, Lynn Williams on the attacking side, and you know Ordonez uh, should get a, a shot right away to to score some goals. Um, and Kelsey Turnbow in San Diego, um, you know, a player that Chicago traded away, and that move could definitely come back to bite them because she's got a huge reputation. She was a, a superstar at Santa Clara in college, and and someone that could come in right away and and make an impact in the league. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, really interesting trades as well that are going to be um, worth keeping an eye You know, you look at the trades that Kansas have been making and getting Sam Mewis in and Lynn Williams, and it's going to be interesting to see how they're settling to this new team that's kind of like getting a lot of stars in and just, you know, seeing how Christian Press settles in in LA. You know, like the really obvious ones that you want to keep an eye on. Alex Morgan, how is she going to settle in San Diego? Like, I think there's a lot of, um, yeah, like I said, really obvious kind of moves where you're like, well, obviously that's going to be quite interesting um, that are going to be worth keeping an eye on. There's a, there's a lot of that this year. There's been quite a lot of movement. Yeah, Morgan Morgan's one that I'm definitely watching because there's just been a couple little signs over the last year or so that she is starting to maybe lose a bit of that form that we got used to seeing for so many years where she was just 
unquestionably one of, if not the best striker in the world. And so seeing her with a new team, with a new coach, new scenery, um, you know, and, and now she's got a real fight on her hands um, for her national team spot, which we will talk about more in the next segment, but uh, seeing how she does uh, will be really interesting. So let's, uh, let's do some predictions. Uh, Amy, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Um, let's, let's do a challenge cup prediction and then uh, an NWSL championship prediction as well. Do you know what I actually was thinking today? I don't actually dislike the idea of Houston coming through. That's like my outsider pick. Houston coming through with a nuller Challenge Cup because I think like their little group that they're in for the Challenge Cup is like the teams around them are maybe in transition or a little bit weaker. And I thought, why not? Why would Houston not charge through? But I also like the the look of Olo Rain, especially like um, I think they're the strongest team for that Challenge Cup on the West. I'm going to go Olo Rain. I don't know why, but I am. Oh, well, Rain, I think one of their big question marks is in goal. Um, they don't really have a goalkeeper right now. Um, they have they have two rookies, and then they have another goalkeeper who didn't play very much last year behind Buhati. So, um, yeah, that, that, that'll be something to watch for sure. I think as we've seen in the NWSL, like, goalkeepers, there's just, like, goalkeeping talent, like, coming out of the league's ears, like, there is so much goalkeeping talent that, like, you can just see that one of those rookies will probably step in and just be like, oh, right, this is, like, the hottest new rookie on the block. Like, you just can't not expect that. What about you? Who are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, I I, I see a lot of question marks when I go through all of the the, the teams in this league right now. There there aren't any that maybe stick out the way that, that they did in previous years when you're like, oh, well, it's you know, the Kurds are the best team. Like, that's easy. And then there's the the Pacific Northwest teams, OL Reign and Portland. Um, and that was kind of been like the the power center of the league. Um, and then Washington kind of came in and, and upset that balance last year a little bit. And, you know, North Carolina, they're kind of in a, a bit of a, a rebuild mode, which is kind of crazy to say with them, even though they still have some some really good pieces there. Um, so when I, I, I look at the... At the league, I, I think O.L. Reign as well, even though they have a lot of questions at goalkeeper. I think the players love playing for Laura Harvey. I think they have so much talent all over the field. Um, if they can figure out their goalkeeping situation, I would put them among the favorites. Um, and then the spirit as well, for all the reasons we mentioned. Um, they're the defending champions, and they haven't really lost any big pieces. So those are the teams that I, I'm going to look at as the favorites uh, moving into 2022. and. Let's make a little bit of a, a turn to U.S. Women's National Team. Um, big year for them as well. Um, big transition year. Right now, the only games we know about on the calendar are in April against um, Uzbekistan. Not exactly the team that we had expected them to play. Um, what's going on there? Why was that the team that was scheduled for those two friendlies? So I... When this came up, I was like, what on earth is going on? I thought I was in some sort of strange dimension, um, falling into a fever dream at my desk. Um, but um, Jeff Kasuf at The Equalizer actually tweeted a quite handy little thread about it, basically explaining that, um, I mean, one of the difficult things for the US recently has been trying to get top opposition, right? So like you've got COVID restrictions, um, you have, you know, just generally the fact that 
the US is the, the kind of power is slightly starting to shift to Europe and that's a long haul flight to the US for an international break. And so there's like but there's also all the European qualifiers. So like if you want to schedule in a game against a really big nation like from Europe, most of the international windows are absolutely clogged up with World Cup qualifiers or Euro qualifiers because there's so many nations they have to play so many games. So it basically uh Jeff Kosuve basically explained that you know, they, they wanted to play a, a, t- a top team from Asia, but then like because of the the COVID regulations and the restrictions and the quarantine, it just wasn't really doable. And then because every other European nation or every other nation is basically locked into some sort of commitment in April, it left Uzbekistan, <laughs> which is just, yeah. I mean, it's a crazy circumstance, to be honest. Um, And it's quite interesting because we, we talked about last year, in the build-up to the Olympics, the the preparation that Andonovsky's side had had, and they played a lot of really low-ranked teams. They'd not really, you know, the She Believes Cup we saw this year was not the star-studded tournament lineup that we've become used to in recent years. Um, and so it is going to be interesting once COVID starts to calm down and people can, you know, maybe fly about with less restrictions and stuff now. If if they are going to be able to get people over to, you know, the She Believes Cup and things like that for these um, for these tournaments, because it seems to be shifting a little bit at the moment and it's not in the US's favour. And this is definitely an example of that. Yeah, definitely. And that, that brings us to a criticism that was brought against the US last year uh, ahead of the Olympics that they weren't playing strong enough teams. Uh, you know, some of it was out of their control and some of it they could control, but uh, this year, it seems like leading up to the uh, the CONCACAF Women's Championship, which is also World Cup qualifying um, in July, um, that that could be that could be a struggle again. And you know, when you look at this tournament in July, this shouldn't be an issue for the U.S. to to reach the World Cup because you're going to have eight teams in this tournament. And two groups of four, the top two finishers in each group automatically makes it to the World Cup. The third place team goes to an inter-confederation playoff. Um, CONCACAF just does not have enough strong teams for the the U.S. to to really be concerned about this. You know, they've been sort of overtaken over the last year by by Canada, just in, in, in terms of the Olympics. And, um, you know, Mexico is a, a team on the rise as well. But... Um, you know, I, I guess when you look at this tournament, it's it's not going to be really that much of a factor, like who they played leading up to this. I think, you know, in 2023 leading up to the World Cup, then that's a conversation that, that we can have then about who they schedule leading up to the World Cup. But I don't I don't think it's really going to be a factor this year. No, I don't either. I think, though, as well, uh, the June window, the June international window should be a good... The US could get um, some really decent friendlies in there in the build-up to the CONCACAF Championship because it is an open window, um, which I'm pretty sure the, the European teams don't have any qualifiers in. I know England announced this past week that they'll be playing the Netherlands and Belgium in the build-up to the Euros in that window. And, you know, think about all the top teams that are going to be contending for that Euros, you know, France, Germany, Spain... You know, those kind of countries are going to want some sort of elite opposition, but obviously they don't necessarily want to play somebody maybe that they might meet in the tournament because, you know, for obvious reasons. So I think there's, there'll be a few attractive offers there that the US might want to explore um, if they want some elite competition um, into their calendar for 2022. Yeah, for sure. And I think, 
the storyline with the U.S. Women's National Team this year and probably next year as well leading into the World Cup is this sort of generational transition that has started, but also is it, we're unclear how sweeping it's going to be. Um, you know, we, we, we saw that in She Believes Cup, especially um, because players like Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe, Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Julie Ertz, the, they weren't there. And we saw this kind of younger generation, particularly of attacking players like a Trinity Rodman, like Sophia Smith, like Mallory Pugh, like Midge Purse, kind of step in and, and show what they can do um, when they're the focal point of the team. You know, we've seen some of these players with the U.S. before, but they've oftentimes been kind of playing second fiddle to some of these veteran stars. And what we really saw in the She Believes Cup was some of these younger players take center stage, um, especially a player like Katarina Macario um, playing as the number nine uh, for an extended period like we haven't seen with the, the national team so far. So the question for Vlatko Andonovsky is going to be, how sweeping is this generational change? How does he incorporate these young players? Does he keep around some of the veterans for the next year and a half? Or does he say, you know what? Thank you for everything you've done. You've accomplished incredible things. You've won World Cups. You've won Olympic medals. But now it's time to to let the, the kids kind of take over. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because um, I think we've not had a camp really where he has picked a squad where it's been like, right, okay, this is what I see as my best squad right now. He's kind of picked camps where like, okay, we're going to leak, you know, recently, you know, leaving out... Morgan and Rapino and things like that and bringing in young players to see what they can do and bringing players, you know, the Australia camp last year was, you know, here's a lot of young players for the future. Let's see what they can do. There hasn't been like, so like, I think that CONCACAF championship would be interesting to see if he actually picks like as if it was a World Cup or if he, you know, kind of goes like the Australia one last year because like you say, the competition in CONCACAF isn't the strongest, but they are going to have to play against the Olympic gold medalist probably. Um, but, I think that's going to be the most interesting thing is how heavily he kind of merges the two. They're kind of like two separate groups at the moment, the the core veterans of the past few years and the fringe players coming through. I think you look at like Megan Rapino last year after the Olympics, how she was playing for OL Reign. She was on fire. And if she's on fire like that, you know, a player that's won, you know, so many titles and has so much title winning experience with the national team, you know, can you really go actually i know that you're you know one of the best performing forwards in the nwsl at the moment but we just want to focus on the future and bring in you know whoever like that's going to be really interesting because i think as long as these players are on top form and like are playing very well then why would you not pick them but then at the same time it's like but we want to look to the future do we bring in somebody else do you know because i think really you're looking at morgan rapino players like that they're still going to be around for the world cup next summer like, they're not going to retire, I don't think. Um, and so, you know, it's not, like, detrimental to that World Cup campaign to to keep them around. But it is the case of do you then lose a year of somebody else's development? Um, and that's really hard, and I'm very glad that I'm not that Kwanjanovsky right now. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an impossible problem. You have those three attacking spots up front, and you look at the player pool, and there's no less than eight, nine, ten players who could just easily start um 
it's it's definitely going to be interesting to follow what happens with Kat Macario because she performed so well, particularly as the tournament went on as that number nine. And as I mentioned, Alex Morgan is kind of started to show some signs of being mortal. Um, however, she's still only 32. Um, if she puts together a good run at the beginning of the NWSL season, there, there's no reason why she still shouldn't be the starting nine for this team. Um, you know, Kristen press also like she's been on a bit of a hiatus with the national team, which I would assume she's going to be available to, for selection. You know, if not in April, at least by the time we get to the summer, um, she's starting with angel city. And, you know, if she shows the kind of form that she has over the last few years, again, that's, a, that's a player that is extremely hard to take out of the lineup. And so that's going to be a huge issue. Also, you know, in, in the back line, um, you know, a player we mentioned earlier with Becky Sauerbrunn, um, she's 36, but you can't really take her out of the lineup right now based on, on how well she's played over the last few years. But we also saw in the She Believes Cup that Tierna Davidson and Alana Cook formed a, a really strong partnership. And granted, they weren't tested a lot, but, you know, you could easily see those two whenever Becky Sauerbrunn leaves the stage you could easily see Davidson and Cook being the, the center back pairing for the next five, seven, eight years. Yeah, and Davidson had a really good Olympics as well. She's already kind of shown that it doesn't she can do it on the biggest stage, right? She was like one of the only players that came through that Olympics where you could be like, Oh, actually, you were really good. Um, so I think it also depends like, is he gonna look to build his team around players, right? So like Katarina Macario is like a number nine you can build your team around. And why would you not? Because she's like one of the best young talents in the world and will go on to be one of the best players in the world if she's not already. So like you think about the US's attack and how um, how integral Alex Morgan has been to the way it works in recent years. Like I think when you take her out, you have a different dynamic in the attack. So it's like, how does he want to play? Does he want to play you know, with this this certain type of player or this certain type of player? Does he want Macario as a nine and what she brings? Or does he want a style where Alex Morgan is the nine? Is his style flexible? Like, I think it depends on, like, how you're going to build your team. Like, you know, what pieces can you build around? Um, and I think maybe that's what he's been trying to figure out in the last few camps, bringing in these players, like, who has what I want for what I want to do. Um, but I am very interested to see that first squad where he merges everybody together and who gets left aside and, and who comes in. But I think, as, like you say, like there are questions like around Morgan, who um, obviously come back from pregnancy and she was at Spurs and didn't play so much because she was still building her way back, went to Orlando then. And obviously Orlando is, has always been a transitional team for as long as it's existed almost. So this is kind of the season where you're like, right, okay, let's see the Alex Morgan of you know, three years ago. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't want to be him. Yeah, Blacko said something really interesting uh, during the She Believes Cup that, that got a little bit of attention where he was asked about the younger players coming in and he said, you know, the, the veterans have done so much for us. They've won everything. They've been legends. But we're not calling Mia Hamm in. We're not calling Julie Foudy in, even though they're legends as well. Uh, and that was maybe a little bit of a, a hint in that, into how he views these players, or at least it was a, a sort of throwing down of the gauntlet to say, 
you guys need to produce now. I don't care what you've done. Um, it seemed, it seemed a bit harsh. Um, you know, Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy have not played for 15, 20 years. And he's talking about them in the same breath as players like Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe and Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. But, um, it did, it did seem to be a, a little bit of a window into how he views this group of players. And I think how some of those veteran players start out in, in the NWSL or in Tobin Heath's case, how she, how she's playing with Arsenal is going to go a long way towards determining whether they're going to start to get called back into camp for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think for my own interest, I want like Alex Morgan to hit the ground running this season and be scoring a goal like every game. And I want Megan Rapinoe to be in the, the form she was in at the end of last season where she was on fire and you know Kristen Press to be scoring all these goals just because I'm I want him to have all the options available and I want him to see what he picks because I'm intrigued and I want to know what's going on. Yeah, it will be very interesting to follow the US women's national team in twenty twenty two and this generational change and how how extensive it, it really is. But we will leave it there for today. And I must say I'm going to leave it there for this entire series, unfortunately, because today was my final episode. I am moving on from goal, and it is very bittersweet because I've had such a great time doing this show. I think we've we've been able to build something really cool here. I've enjoyed working with you, Amy. I've enjoyed working with you, Niall, our producer, who is very involved in the show, even though listeners, you don't really hear from him. Um, we've had some great guests and um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be exciting to see where the show goes. I know it's going to continue on without me, um, but I'm, I'm definitely going to miss doing it. We're going to bring in a, a younger model, um, somebody to the generational change on the podcast. We're bringing somebody with fresh legs and, and goal scoring ideas and all that kind of thing. Yeah, very, very on theme there. So, yeah, out with the old, in with the new. All right, well, we will leave it there. Thank you again for listening today and over these these past several months. Uh, it really has been a pleasure. Um, and as a reminder, as always, give us a rating, follow, subscribe, wherever you get your shows, and they will be back next week. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.